Good morning once again, and, and Happy New Year again. Uh, I wanted to say that one of the things taking place today, and I forgot that I failed to mention this in the first service, and I should have, is um, uh, our chairman of the deacon board, who is coming off, Dan uh, Clement, uh, has been handing out some uh, gifts from you to the pastoral staff uh, and to the senior leaders uh, within the church uh, on the staff here, and I want to thank you publicly for that. And I should, have, I should have mentioned something in the first service, and so I'll try to remember to do this again next week. But uh, the giving of God's people and the relationships that exist are, are just a glorious thing to experience. And I hope that as we look at this coming year, 2022, uh, you are looking forward to the relationships that you are going to grow in or establish and then grow in. Um, we are thrilled as a pastoral staff to, to be able to emphasize this idea of loving like Jesus. And I thought the first Sunday of 2022, how could I not mention the love of Jesus? And we need to love like Him. And so uh, that is going to be a, uh, an abiding uh, message that we're going to seek to proclaim this year is encourage you to in, more and more love others like Jesus. But that actually fits within the, the broader scheme of what we're trying to get done uh, around here. And I remember in my philosophy of, of ministry class years and years ago, Dr. Tim Jordan shared, he was like, listen, folks, what's your philosophy of ministry? Is it to get ministry done through people or is it to get people done through ministry? And what he meant there was fulfilling our, our mission, which is to make a mature disciples of Jesus Christ. He's saying, listen, are you trying to get people done through ministry? And that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to bring people to a place of understanding who Jesus is and what he's done on their behalf and to see them come to faith. And you are a huge part. You are the largest part of that part of the mission. Because I can only witness to so many people. Dan can only witness to so many people in a given day, a given week, a given month, a given year. But when you multiply the number of people in this room and joining us online and think about the reality that we all get to bring the gospel forth into people's lives and see them come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are all uh, essential to that idea of making disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, on the other side of it, the pastoral staff has a large portion of the maturing part of it. We're not the only ones involved, but certainly it's more in our lane to, to be with a number of people under our care is to see, uh, to see each of you mature in your faith, mature in your understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for you. So as we talk about loving like Jesus, it's all under this idea of that's to never stop. It is a focus of this year. But it should never stop. And, and, and as we have promised to lead you down a path of, of maturing in your faith, we came up with five stages of discipleship. And, and those are to discover who Jesus is, to believe in him, to come to faith in him, and to live your life patterned as a life of belief. Then to connect with one another as we do before and after services. And I say even now, there is a connection within this body because we are all here to worship together. 
And we can be thankful for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we ought to seek to be connected to one another. And we're, we've already challenged you and we'll continue to challenge you to get to know one another. Get to know your brothers and sisters in Christ. So we discover Jesus. We believe in We come to faith in Him. And then we pattern a life of belief. We connect with others, and then we learn how to serve one another. When those things, when we're connected to one another, it becomes natural to think the best of others and to seek to serve them. We often do not serve strangers. We ought to serve strangers, but we often don't serve strangers. We tend to serve the ones we know and the ones we are around. And so maybe we need to get around some strangers. So we can help them discover and believe and connect with us so they can also serve. And then that final stage, again, just to emphasize, you never leave any of these stages. You are always discovering more and more about Jesus. You are always to live a life of believing. You are always supposed to be connecting. You're always supposed to be serving. And then you're always supposed to be multiplying. And that's not talking about evangelism, but if you have the gift of evangelism, you can certainly multiply your gifts and your abilities and train others. It's the idea of training others to follow along, to take your place, because we don't know when our last breath will be. And God will call us home, and this church needs to continue, not just Merrimack Valley Baptist Church. That is our hope and prayer, is that what we are doing with this emphasis of of making maturing disciples of Jesus Christ and walking you through this this idea of of strategy of discipleship, it is the idea that this church will be around to make and mature disciples for decades to come. Wouldn't it be wonderful for your great-grandkids to be in this facility while it is still preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and seeking to raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and to see them mature in their faith? Folks, as we look at 2022, it is is an entire year of opportunity for us to do all that I've just talked about. And I want to challenge you. Be involved in all that's going on here, but not just the activities. Be involved in prayer. Be involved in living out your faith. John's going to point us in that direction in just a couple minutes. But I just wanted to take a couple minutes of January 2nd, 2022, to enliven you to what God is doing here. And I, so many of you have been involved in the classes that were that were. Uh, teaching, and and so many of you are involved in, in so many aspects of this ministry. But folks, when we come together, we are called corporately to, to uh, rejoice in all that God is doing on our behalf. And so for sake of all that, unscripted, just from my heart, uh, I want to encourage you that as we continue our study of 1 John, all right. We are talking about from darkness to light. We are talking about the reality that as we have come to faith in Jesus Christ, we are in the light, we abide in the light, and we will continue to do so in, uh, for eternity. But there are those who are still in darkness, and John's dealing with those folks. He's, he's, he's confronting some false teachers, and he's trying to encourage the people, that are the believers who are reading, saying, listen, beware of these people. 
and know what right faith looks like, know what right belief looks like, know what right living looks like. So I'm going to bring us through here. Uh, I already did my, I was supposed to be up there the entire time I said happy, uh, you know, all that I just finished saying, right? So happy new year once again. All right. Um, but we're going to, we, we've talked over this over the last few weeks that I've preached. Children of God display the character of God. I'm a child of God today and many of you are as well. I cannot say that all of you are because I don't know. But God knows his children. And his children display aspects of his character. Not to the same degree, but certainly with the same, uh, the same purpose. All right? So we're, we've talked about this. We talked about children of God. They love righteously. And they, they, me, they live righteously and they love actively. And that's where we kind of focused uh, two weeks ago, well, last time I was in the pulpit, is this idea of loving actively. And we discussed that actively loving others marks us as Christians. It marks you as a Christian. When you demonstrate love to your brother or sister in Christ, people notice. When a large gathering of God's people love one another... Uh, the community takes notice. The, the, uh, those outside our doors and, and windows and, you know, outside the faith, they, they see this is what has prospered the church since its inception. God's people loving their own people as well as loving others. But there is this idea of being there for one another at all times, in all circumstances, and so actively loving others is what we're called to as Christians, and we are to do this. It marks us. It, and we talked about six features. I'm not going to go through all of them, but we talked about six features of active Christian love. What, what does it look like? What's a, like the facial features? You know, if I have a family resemblance to God, what, what features are present? Well, just a few of them, four of them. Active love is gospel-motivated love. We are, we are, I'm not going to go through all that because we went through it, but it's gospel motivated. It's, it's centered in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. Active love will be met with active hate. We are not popular when we are living out our faith in front of those who are not of the family of God. Remember, John has already clarified very clearly there's children of God and children of Satan. And I had the privilege of writing out, I, I want to encourage you, I encourage the, the first service with this as well. I want to encourage you, go home, whether it be today, I'd say today because you might forget for tomorrow, but maybe sometime this week, go home and write out the gospel. See if you can just write it out. I told you before, I stood in front of a group of teenagers and I said, hey, uh, the, uh, the regular guy's sick, so I'm filling in. I'm, uh, pretend I'm a lost person, give me the gospel. And we sat in there for about an hour and, and I walked out of there and I said, oh, just so you know, I'm still a lost person, but I'm willing to hear you <laughs> some more later, right? They, they couldn't get all the details of the gospel and the aspects of it. I'm asking you, write out the gospel for your benefit, but then write it again for the benefit of somebody else. I had the privilege of writing out the gospel uh, <clears throat> for someone who's dear to me. And... And I wanted to make sure they would listen. So I didn't put a bunch of Christianese in there and, and, and quote all kinds of scripture. I'm giving them a Bible. It's all in there, right? But I, but I wrote the gospel out in a way that would communicate, I love you. And I want you to know the love of Jesus Christ. Do that. Do that. And see 
what it does in your own heart for loving others. Because active love will meet with active hate. Our loved ones, whether it be family or friends, our loved ones, are, are, especially our little ones, are going to grow up in a world that hates them more and more as Christians. We need to prepare them. We need to prepare ourselves. Active love is sacrificial. We talked about Jesus Christ being the epitome of this. He's the example of this. He gave his life on the cross. He is the one who washed the feet of the disciples. Now, we read that passage out of John 14. By the way, did a great job, both Bruce and and, uh, Dan, reading that passage. It's a long passage. But I hope you found yourself encouraged because that's John rehearsing the words of Jesus. And so much of what he said in John 14 is is coming forth in 1 John. You read them together and, and understand John is not someone who writes books. John is someone who tells people about Jesus. And as he tells people about Jesus, he's, he's, he's just mesmerized by what God is doing as we ought to be memorized. But he focused on this idea that, that Jesus Christ, he gave his life for our benefit. We'll look at that in just a minute. Oh, actually, no, we're going to look at it right now. Sorry, I forgot I put it in here. By this we know love. How do we know love? Because Jesus laid down his life for us. That's verse 16. How do we know love? We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. There is a responsibility for every believer in this room and every believer watching us online. If Jesus laid down his life for you and you've received that, as you've received that gift from God, then we are called to lay down our lives for each other. It's non-negotiable. This ought to be happening, and it is happening, by the way, and I'm thanked by many people for the, for the love that you express, but they write the thank you notes to the church in, in general, and I don't always read them from the pulpit. If, if, obviously, if they ask me to, I do, but sometimes it's just a, a thank you for all those praying, right? But we ought to lay down our life. We talked about the fact that that may be literally dying in the place of another or for the sake of another, but more in the, in the text of 1 John is dealing with giving of your resources. It says, uh, uh, let, let, me, let me just see. Uh, yeah, there it is. All right, so we'll get there in a minute. All right, so we talked about it being, it being sacrificial, but also being sincere. And this is what John is going to build off of. And I got to keep moving here. But John is going to build off this idea of sincere love. Sincere, genuine, the real deal. This is, this is the kind of love that Jesus is the example of and, and, and we are to follow. And so we know that from verse 18, which we're going to start, we're going to focus on 19 through 24, but we covered this a couple weeks ago. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And we focused on this idea that we are to love in truth, in sincerity, in genuineness, not some sort of false love. You know, the false love that says, well, I got you a card and I bought you flowers and I've delivered them on a specific day but for the rest of the year, I pretty much treat you like trash, right? That's, that's, not, that's not love, right? This, this love that we're called to, whether it be for spouse, and that was a bit extreme, but don't get me wrong. There's people out there experiencing that. I hope they're not in this room. But the love that we are supposed to have for others is supposed to be in deed and in truth, in action 
and in truth. And, and John's going to build on this as we go into this text, all right? So the big idea for today is simply this. There is spiritual profit in loving like Jesus, all right? I didn't know how else to phrase this today, and I apologize if that doesn't communicate to you. But I'll be honest with you, as I, as I coming, coming out of December and, and planning forward for, uh, for this coming year, you know, we're dealing with well, like taxes, right? You're dealing with investments. Everybody's dealing with their investments at the end of the year, and they're looking at the product. They want to make sure their money goes as far as it can go and do it placed in the right way and to, God, to God's glory. Uh, and then we're also, we have to make decisions today for the end of this year and those same things. So I'm saying, listen, if we're so focused on the physical profit, financial profit, let's think about, let's look forward and talk about the spiritual profit that that is going to take place in our lives as we love like Jesus this year, right? So we're going to, it's broken down into two, two sections, uh, but let's go ahead and just read the verses together first, and then we'll look at those two sections. First uh, John three nineteen says, and by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is His commandment, that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. Now He who keeps His commandments abides in Him, and He abides... Uh, Excuse me. Now, he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. All right? I'll be honest with you. This particular text, not very long, just a few verses, way difficult in studying. And I hope I can explain it as simplistically as I possibly can as we talk about the first aspect of what, it, what profits us by loving like Jesus. Those who love like Jesus profit from their time in prayer. This is very basic, but, and, it, and I'm going to walk you through this, and I hope that you have a prayer life. All right? It is not uncommon for Christians to struggle in prayer. It's sitting and seemingly doing nothing. Right? We sit there maybe with our hands folded or our arms crossed, our heads down, whatever it might be. It seems like we're not doing anything. But folks, listen, we are doing something very important and it's part of our maturing in our faith. We must be people of prayer. John is saying those who love like Jesus profit from their time in prayer. Now, the, how do we profit in prayer? Well, we're going to see, first of all, we are comforted in our doubts. This is a prophet. If, if, if you were in need of comfort and someone came and gave you that comfort, they are profiting you. They are giving something you are in need of. And what we see in this text in verse 19 says, and by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assume, assure our hearts before him. We're going to focus, I don't have it highlighted here, we're going to focus on this idea of assurance, right, for, in just a minute. But there is this a reality that we are supposed to come before him, right? And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. What do I mean by before him? Or what does John mean by before him? I think in the context of the whole passage, we're talking about coming into God's presence. 
And this establishes that we are able to do just that. But before we get into the actual prayer aspect of it, let's look at what he says in the beginning. He says, by this we know something that we are of the truth. For the sake of time, I'm going to just tell you, by this refers to to the previous verses, 16 to 18. And it's saying that by this active love, and I'll just add on to it, by the by the righteous living in the active love that, mod, that is modeled for us in Christ, as we are practicing that, by this, we know that we are of the truth. We are, this idea of truth, uh, is, it's more than just sincerity this time, right? We're supposed to, I, you know, uh, love and truth, genuine love. Well, this is talking about the genuine truth. This is talking about the truth of the gospel. This is talking about, this is how we know we're family of God. This is, no, we, this is how we know that we are his children. By this, by living the way that demonstrates love towards others, that's sacrificial, people will know, and we know, that we are of the truth. We are of the family of God. So that's kind of the baseline of this because only children of God can come genuinely to prayer in God for what he's talking about here. Obviously, God hears all prayers. He hears everything. He knows everything about everybody. Uh, I do think there's some truth in, in, in uh, the idea that as people call out to fa- in faith to him, that's, that's that aspect of faith is... is uh, is glorifying to God. So that's the first prayer that probably glorifies God is one that's spoken in faith in the, in the Son of God, right? So we said, and by this we know that we are the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Have you ever had doubts? This is, this is what we're talking about. We're saying we are comforted in our doubts. When I was a brand new believer, I had no idea what assurance of salvation meant. When I went to my engineer officer basic course and I sat in the room of hundreds of individuals and we were all there to learn how to be an engineer, uh, I had a geology degree, so I was in the room with geologists and ge- engineers and all kinds of different smart people, uh, and I didn't feel so smart. But I was a new believer, and the last office that needed to be filled, volunteer office, was the office of the chaplain. I had no idea I was going to be an army chaplain years and years later. I sat in that room and I was amazed. There wasn't a single person that raised their hand. So I raised my hand and I became the chaplain of our class. And I was a novice. I knew very little. I was a brand new believer. And I, during one of our Bible studies, another one of, our, one of the students came to me and afterwards he said, Greg, are you, do you understand what assurance of salvation is? And of course, you know what I did. Uh-huh. And inside I'm like, no, what are you talking about? This is, this is a foreign language to me. Listen, I was ignorant of this idea of assurance of our salvation. And some people struggle. We hear about young children growing up and, and, and they, come to, they come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ, but then they doubt later. So this, there's some aspect of that here where we're dealing with a doubting our salvation. But here, it's a little bit more than that. It's not, it's not just doubting our salvation. It's doubting our Christian character. We're coming to the Lord in prayer, and we don't feel worthy to come to Him in prayer. We are told that, listen, by this we know that we are the truth. We are genuine children of God. And, and, and listen, that knowledge shall assure our hearts before Him. We, our hearts, are in need of assurance that idea of to assure is the, is, is the idea of persuasion. I'm going to persuade my heart. When I come to prayer, 
And we're going to develop this more. John's going to develop this more. But when I come to prayer, I'm in need of knowing that I'm allowed to do this thing. And not only that I'm allowed to do it, because if I'm a child, I'm, I'm compelled to do it. I, God wants me to do it. He wants us to come to him. But there are these doubts that come in. I'm not living the Christian life the greatest way. I only make church once a month, you know. My job gets in the way, you know. I don't really read my Bible every day. And, and we pile on the guilt. And John is saying, stop feeling guilty. Get busy. Get busy in your faith. Because your heart needs to be assured in God's presence, that you are the truth. And he says, so we see, how do we profit in prayer? We're comforted in our doubts, but as we go on, we see that we are comforted, uh, confronted with our failings. This is part of the Christian life, making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ. In the making, we usually have to confront people with their sin, but in the maturing, we are also confronting one another. That's part of the reason that we are to gather together, Hebrews uh, 10, 24, and 25, to exhort one another to love and good works. We have to come together. I said that in, in a pandemic, right, and in, in, in COVID, right? We have to come together. It's essential, and some people have fallen out of the habit of coming together. This is not a guilt trip on anybody. This is just, there are those out there who are not coming to church, whether our church or other churches, they've gotten into the habit. And 1 Corinthians tells us, don't do, or no, excuse me, uh, Hebrews uh, 10 tells us, don't do that. Don't fall into that habit. We are confronted with our failings. When we come together, we get to confront one another. And so the text says, for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. So this idea of, of uh, how do we profit in prayer, we are, when we come to prayer, we're often confronted with our failings, aren't we? And when that confrontation, in one sense, it's, it's the Holy Spirit, but in another sense, it's our conscience. And when the two agree, it's pretty powerful. The two don't always agree. The Holy Spirit's always right. And we'll talk about that. But we're confronted with our failings. Sometimes we have failings. Sometimes we don't live the way we ought to live. And it's saying, listen, we need to have assurance in our heart. We need to be encouraged. We need to be, but we need to be confronted. For if our heart condemns us, that idea of heart is the idea of conscience, that's the predominant view of what this means, our inner being, the, that little voice that tells you something's not right or everything is okay. For if our conscience condemns us, God is greater than our heart. Listen, if the conscience can bring conviction to your heart, God can bring it with more clarity. If conscience can point out what is wrong, God knows all things. He, he knows every aspect of your life. You don't need to fear what God knows. God knows everything. So if, if your conscience is condemning you and there's a sense that I'm somehow legitimately not in right fellowship with God, repent, confess it, receive the forgiveness that John talks about, and, 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 and then go on. But there is also a reality that our heart may condemn us when we haven't necessarily sinned. Or fallen into failings. There, there are those times where we just have a kind of a bad view of ourselves. We don't, we don't feel like we're being we're very godly. That's very prominent in Christians' lives. That, that we, don't, we don't, I don't really feel like a Christian today. Don't let your feelings drive the train. Let the Word of God drive the train. This is saying that when you come to God in prayer and, 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 and your heart, and you think your heart's condemning you, He's saying, listen, 
God knows your heart. He's greater than your heart, and He knows all things. So if your conscience isn't quite in line with the Holy Spirit, He's saying, here, trust God. He knows He knows you better than you know yourself. Have you ever been kicking yourself because you failed to love someone? That's the context of this passage. Have you ever kicked yourself because, man, I, I should have loved that person more actively. I, sh- I, sh- I should have done it. Oh, I just... God is just saying, I know you wanted to, and I know you didn't. But pray anyway, right? Because, listen, as we can think about this, we're confronted with our failings. Sometimes they're legitimate, and we need to confess and repent, right? But oftentimes, they're, they're just our feelings, our emotions getting away. And he's saying, listen, you know, when we're confronted with our failings, trust God, because he knows everything, your motives, everything. So it's, a, it's an encouragement. It's also an exhortation, a warning. Be encouraged that God knows everything. Be warned. God knows everything. It's amazing how John weaves this all together. Thirdly, how do we profit in prayer? We are confident in God's will. This is beautiful. When, our, when the Holy Spirit and our conscience come in alignment, all right, it's powerful because we see beloved now John is getting to the point of what he's trying to, to uh, encourage uh, those who are reading his letter. He says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us. Isn't that a beautiful thing when we don't have guilt? And we're not, and we're not struggling with, with uh, views, negative views. He's like, listen, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, if our conscience is clear, we have confidence towards God. That idea of confidence is the idea of... Um, I didn't even pull out my notes, all right? So this is all, all this has been from the slides, all right? So I just forgot the word, all right? All this, this confidence is the idea of, there it is, boldly. It's the idea of if our heart does not condemn us, we have the ability to boldly come before God. This idea of confidence is confidence to speak. We have the ability to come into God's presence. We know this from Hebrews as well, to boldly approach the throne of grace. John is telling us the same thing. If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And I'm realizing I'm probably, yeah, I need to move along here. All right, so let's just look at this text and we'll see that, no, let's, let's go back. It was this way. So we are confident in God's will. This confidence is in a prayer, it's to boldly come before God and speak. That's what we call prayer. And he says, in whatever we ask, these are those powerful, powerful words that are usually misapplied. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. Oh, this is great. I'm a Christian. I get to add everything I've ever wanted, right? I don't, I don't feel like I'm in sin. I have a clear conscience. God, can I get a new car? Can I get a new house? Can I, can I win the lottery? Cars and houses are actually, I, I pray for those. I mean, I'm not praying to win the lottery, you know. Um, we won't go there. We don't have time, all right? But I will say this. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. That sounds like good news, and it is good news, but it's not the news that, that the, often people want to understand. Whatever we ask, we receive from him. What if we ask for something sinful? Is he going to give us something sinful? Well, listen, my heart is not condemned and, and I have confidence, I have boldness, to, but it's not audacious. 
We don't come before the Lord and ask for those things that are contrary to his will. So, so when we ask and we receive, what's going on there? Well, he says, because. He says, whatever we ask, we receive from him. Why? Because we continually keep his commandments and we continually do those things that are pleasing in his sight. We are characterized by a life of faithfulness. Present tense verbs, the idea this is an ongoing aspect. We, when we, re, we receive what we ask for when we're smack dab in the middle of God's will. Not selfish. This is, you can't apply this that way. It's impossible. Because God loves us. And he wants to bless us. He desires and he says, listen, you live, you keep, continually keep my commandments we're not talking about perfectionism. We've already talked about that previous weeks. Because we continually keep his commandments and we continually do those things that are pleasing to him. In other words, beyond those commandments. Those things that, you know, so we're supposed to love, right? Love God, love our neighbor. But there's plenty of other things we're supposed to do too. He's saying do those things that please him. And, and we know elsewhere, I think from Hebrews again, that the only way you get to please God is through faith. This is faithful living. So these are three benefits of, of, of prayer. But let's go into this, this last two verses. Those who love like Jesus have another area of profit. We profit from, their, from our obedience to God's command. And so uh, just to move quickly here, there's three. Again, how do we profit in obedience? One, we are grounded in our faith. Look at the text. He says, and this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. I'm going to move a little faster on this because we've already covered this. But I will say this. In verse 23, it's sandwiched between the idea of this is the commandment and he gave us the commandment. And what's in the middle is where I'm drawing this idea that how do we profit in obedience? We are grounded in our faith. Well, what is our faith? That we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. It's gospel motivated. This is the idea. This is, uh, first of all, we see uh, Jesus' divinity. We are to believe on the name of God the Father's Son. He is God. He's given the name Jesus. That's his human name, right? He's fully God, fully human. And then we see Christ on there, which most people just say, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that, that's the name. No, it's a title. It, it's his mission statement. He is the Messiah. He is the deliverer. He's the promised one. He's all those things incorporated. And it says here that we are, uh, we, and when we live in obedience to God, which certainly means caring and loving for one another, he's like, listen, we are called to live this commandment out. And it's one, believe on the name uh, of all that Jesus is and all that he has done. You are supposed to have faith in that. And notice, and love one another. It's the great commandment. And God is, rather than love God and love your neighbor, it's love Jesus Christ, who is God, and love one another, your fellow believer, because God has commanded it. So, so we see, how do we profit obedience? We are grounded in our faith, and then we are also assured of our relationship with God. This is beautiful as you get into this text. Now, he who keeps his commandments abides in him. So this is little h, right? He or she. Now, he or she who keeps God's commandments abides in God. And God abides in him or her. 
This ought to blow our mind. This is the idea that we are assured of our relationship with God. What kind of a prophet do we have in obedience? If I live out my life in obedience to God's command, specifically loving one another, what's in it for me? Well, you're assured of your relationship with God because the only way you're able to love that way is in and through God. He who keeps his commandments abides, remains. Talk about assurance. Once you're a child of God, you never cease to be a child of God. He is abiding with you. How do we profit in obedience? We are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. Look at this in uh, in, in 24. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him. And he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So the previous point was just dealing with uh, the first part of it. We are assured of our relationship with God. People have doubts about that. And we come come to God in prayer, right? And we come with the intent of obeying. But then he says, we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. It's the idea. And by this we know that he abides in us. What is the this here? We're still in the context of loving like Jesus loved. And by this we know that he abides in us. How do we know? By the Spirit whom He's given us. How do we know that we are of the truth? The Spirit has revealed it to us, but He's also empowered us to live the Christian life. And folks, get a hold on this because this is the maturing part of your walk of faith. Trust in the Holy Spirit. He is active. He's indwelling you, believers, and He seeks to glorify God in your lives. Live out in faith. Live, live out your f- faith through him. So there is spiritual profit in loving like Jesus. And, and we are out of time, so I'll say this. What kind of profit are you setting your sights on for this coming year? I don't think it's wrong to have financial goals. I don't think it's wrong to have uh, goals for uh, your job or for your education. But certainly we ought to have some spiritual profit in our in our future and as, our, as we plan. Because 2022 could be the year that you get to see God work through you experientially like that gentleman shared in the testimony about that church that has that so graciously come into being. That building has been paid for. Amazing stuff. God will do that in your life too. Enjoy the prophets of prayer. Enjoy the prophets of obedience. Let's live it out to God's glory and to fulfill his mission. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can be in your text. And and Lord, we're thankful for the gospel. And we thank you that we can list the aspects or the items of the the gospel, the truths that 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 are essential to it. And Lord, I thank you for um, just people who are, who are living each day seeking to share it with somebody. But Father, not all of us are called to share the gospel every day at every moment, but we are called to live out the gospel every day and every moment. And Father, I pray that as you grow us and mature us in our faith, that you would open doors of opportunity to share what we have learned with others so they might discover Jesus, have a life patterned of belief, connect with our church body or another church body, serve one another in faith to your glory, and then to duplicate what you've done in their lives and the lives of others so that you will continue to be glorified through churches.
for decades to come until Jesus comes, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.